Hello and welcome to another Tim Talk podcast by Celtic Down Under. I'm your host, Jared, and joining me today is Jim Hardy. How are you, Jim? Good, thank you, Jared, and uh, thanks for the opportunity to take part in this. I've been really looking forward to it, so yeah, lots to talk about, as always. Yeah, glad glad to have you on board for the chat. So what we'll do is just give everyone a bit of a background on yourself. So do you want to tell us how you became a Celtic fan and a bit of your background in football? Uh, well, I guess me and my family would be probably one of those groups of generational fans that uh, Ange Postacoglu was talking about recently. So my, my father was from Glasgow. He was born in Govan Hill. And uh, he had uh, a few brothers, quite a large family. But he was evacuated out of Glasgow during the war. And he came down to the Dumfries area and uh, didn't go back. So uh, that was, you know his background with, with Celtic. Uh, uh, my mother's family for what they would call Galloway Irish from the southwest of Scotland, and she had three brothers, you know, who were all Celtic fans, and my grandfather as well. I can remember, you know, going walking with my granddad and talking about football, you know, when I was like a wee boy, and I remember him saying he'd seen Jimmy McGrory playing at uh, Palmerston Park in Dumfries, uh, so, you know, there was always lots of talk about football and uh, listening to games on the radio as it was then. So, you know, I, I didn't uh, really have any option about who I supported. I'm very lucky, I think. You know, it, it's been it's been a great journey being involved with Celtic and I've got sons myself. You know, my younger son's in Dublin. He married an Irish girl, so he's over there. He's a mad Celtic fan and he's got... Uh, a boy himself now, Hamish, who will be another generation of Celtic fans. So we're well steeped in the, the Celtic traditions. That's good to hear. It's funny how that works, but yeah, yeah. Celtic family is worldwide. And in your case, your actual family is worldwide and they all go for Celtic. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So um, do you want to tell us, like you're based over here in Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. So, do you want to tell us about a bit about what sh- – what you do, involvement in the local football scene over here. And there's a bit. So, well, at at the moment, uh, nothing other than being a spectator, but I came over here in 1989 and my my younger son then was about 10, I think, and he got involved in a a local football club in Frankston. And I I got roped into coaching, you know, they heard I was Scottish and, you know, like lots of junior teams at that time, coaches were volunteers, you know, and so I got involved in that and uh, obviously I had had played a wee bit in Scotland and did play a wee bit here in Australia when I first came here. So, but the the coaching, I was ready to stop playing at that time. I really enjoyed it and, you know, took it very seriously and, you know, did all my badges through the Victorian Soccer Federation as it was then. And around uh, about 92 or 93, I got a job with the Victorian Soccer Federation then as a, a rep coach, coaching in the old regional system, which in those days it was, you know, I was in the southern region. So you, you were given an age group. Mine was under 14s. And you just uh, went around looking at games, identifying players, putting together a team. And then at the end of the year, you would play off in a comp against the other regions in the city. And from there, you know, a Victorian under 14 would uh, would emerge from that. So, you know, I was very lucky. I, I coached a lot of really good players, you know, people who played at a much higher level than I ever did, you know. And so, you know, that, that, that was really good at that time. Uh, then I got involved. Not long after that, my, my son was going out with a girl who was a footballer and she, she played at uh, Seaford and she asked me if I, if I would coach, you know, the, the women's team out there. So I took that on for three or four years and had a great time, you know, with that team, had a, you know, a bit of success with them, really enjoyed, you know, the women's side of the game. You know, they it was very refreshing. You know, they, they play with a an honesty sometimes that... Uh, isn't there with the, the men's side of the game. You know, you very ever hear, you know, the ladies back chatting the referee or staging for free kicks and things like that. 
Uh, and I hope that's something, you know, as, as the women's game becomes more professional, that they don't pick up from their, their male colleagues. Uh, so after I'd finished with them, uh, I got involved uh, a friend of uh, my son's called Jamie Skelly, who uh, he took on a coaching job at uh, Noble Park in the State League. And I went in to join him doing that as his assistant and had a couple of, you know, really good years there. And then we went to Casey Comets and uh, coached there for a while with the, the senior team. But now, you know, at, at, at the age I'm at now, you know, I've... Uh, getting ready for retirement, starting to do different things. So, But I, I still love, you know, the, the local football uh, and, you know, made a lot of friends over that journey. And it's always nice, you know, to visit other football clubs and catch up with people that you haven't seen or players that you used to coach, you know. So the time goes by very quickly. You know, the, the boys that you had in the under-14s now are now retired themselves and starting to, to think about coaching. So it's been great fun, you know, being involved in local football. It's a great community that they've yeah, got at that level. Yeah. The local sport, whether it's your football, your basketball, your AFL over here, there's just the community of the sport and how yeah. sports matter is over here in Melbourne is something else. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and football people are, you know, they're – you know, they're wonderful. They're very, you know, while I was coaching, you know, very sharing, you know, lots of people that, you know, that helped me. I was, you know, I was always keen to learn, you know, and, you know, I used to go and watch, you know, other coaches doing sessions and, you know, just to see how other people were doing things. And I, w- I was a founder member of an organisation called the Australian Coaches Association, which was put together by, you know, a great guy called Ian Greener, who's been involved in Victorian football for a long, long time. And uh, he would organise, you know, for when clubs were visiting from overseas, you know, their coaches would come and put on sessions for other coaches to watch and question. And, you know, you you see an awful lot, you know, watching other people working. And like I say, they're, you know, always very kind to share, time to share, you know. And I can remember, you know, Steve McLaren coming out here once, you know, and, uh, you know, just being so giving with his time, you know, and Roy Hodgson as well, you know, when when he was out here, you know, they came out one day, I can't remember which one it was, but it was chucking down the rain and he could very reasonably have said, no, nah, I'm not going to do this, lads. But he went ahead and, and did it and put on a great session, you know, for for people who were ostensibly either, you know, either semi-professionals or just, you know, enthusiasts. That's great to hear. Now, the the real question about Steve McLaren is, did he put on an Australian accent while he was here? No, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. No, he's mind you. I think he's coached in so many different countries. I think he's got, he's not, he's kind of his accent's a bit of a melting pot of various things now. He's got what you would call a global accent now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, an SBS accent. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So that's thanks for that bit of history on yourself and all the time you've done like what you've done coaching-wise. So we'll get into the Celtic stuff for the listeners. So I want to get your opinion on how last season went. So who do you think our top performers and under and who underperformed? And were there any players or teams that surprised you the most? Well, well last year, I mean, you know, it was, it was depressing. And I think it was probably made even more depressing by the lack of fans in the grounds. You know, it was watching the games. It was, you know, funereal. You know, but I think probably the the seeds of what happened last year were probably sown, you know, two or three years before that. You know, obviously the you know, the run of success that, that we had and the titles and you know, the trebles and were great and you know, don't get me wrong, you know, I'm I'm not dismissing them, you know, and Brendan Rogers tenure obviously was great, but I think we have to take into account that, you know, we the Rangers were out of the league at that time, you know, so clearly things were uh, a bit easier to, to win. Uh, when Rangers come back, there was there was always going to be a period of time before they would become challengers again, you know, and that's probably what happened during the Brendan Rogers era, you know, although we did play some wonderful football at that time, but against a fairly weak Rangers side. So I think, you know, we probably got a bit complacent 
We lost Brendan Rodgers, obviously. If what we what we hear is that it was because of differences between him and, and Peter Lall. But I think probably people at senior level became too comfortable. I think Peter Lall had clearly been there for far too long. You know, a CEO being in any organisation for that length of time is too long. And, you know, Peter Lall was a great accountant for us, but the the more he became involved in the football side of things, then the worse things got. You know, I think his his fingers were all over, you know, the, the crime, all the protracted transfer negotiations that went on, you know, multiple times. You know, I think if probably if you worked with Peter Lawl, you would probably say he was a control freak, but, you know, he probably was a micromanager, you know, and I think maybe the, the John McGinn transfer would be... Uh, uh, you know, evidence of that. And the fact that, you know, so many times we went into the the Champions League qualifiers, you know, underprepared. I mean, it just became a an annual event. So I think, you know, the, the seeds of what happened last year were, you know, were, were sown a few years before that due to complacency. And obviously the new Lennon appointment, you know, it's been said many times that, you know, Neil Lennon, apart from having played from Celtic, though played for Celtic, he didn't really have any qualifications to get our job, but he got it nevertheless. Came in, you know, had that good, you know, the good end of the season, you know, where uh, Edward and Griffiths hit their straps and, you know, we, we won the league. But after that, from the beginning of this season, I, you know, I, I can't remember one game where, you know, I thought that we played well for 90 minutes. I don't think it happened the whole season. Play, players who played well, you know, at, at the start of the season, you know, you know, Ryan, Ryan Christie, you know, I think is, is a good player. I think he, however, your misgivings might be about him tactically and the fact that, you know, he was just trying to score all the time from impossible angles. You know, the, f- the first third of the season, you know, he, he ran his guts out for the team, you know. And, but then after that, he just, to me, he played a little bit like Scott Brown used to play, you know, wasting energy, trying to do everyone's job. And, and I think that was probably down to the fact there was a, a lack of structure in the team. So, you know, he was, he was trying to do too much. Uh, Christ- I think Christopher Ayar, you know, didn't do himself any any harm. You know, he was a, a consistent performer in a poor side. Callum McGregor, I thought, was, uh, again, a consistent performer in, in a poor side. But, you know, outside of that, you'd be hard-pressed to, to give anyone pass marks. You know, the poor performers, I think, you know, the, the lone players who came in, you know, John Joe Kennedy, you know, Diego Lashtalt, Shane Duffy, you know, very ordinary players, you know. And up front, you know, I would probably save my most severe criticism for Eduard. You know, you know, I thought he was an imposter of a centre-forward at times last year. You know, I, Jared, I've, I've always believed in a thing called the wisdom of the crowd. You know, that if, you know, if, if the majority of people think something, then it's probably because it's right. You know, and in my opinion, Eduard was was a disgrace last year. You know, his lack of effort, his selfishness, uh, you know, just get the ball, try and beat everyone and score a goal. To me, I would, uh, if he was one of the ones that was wanting away and that was his response, I would have left him out of the team and played anyone but him because they couldn't have been any worse. And it's interesting now, you know, that... uh, Brendan Rodgers is interested in him for, for Leicester City and also I read this morning that he's considering staying and seeing out his contract. So he'll need to, you know, he'll find Ans Postacoglu a different uh, coach to deal with than Neil Lennon and John Kennedy, I'm sure. Absolutely. Antoine isn't won't be coming backwards to come forwards with him. No. Straight yeah. in his grill if he's not pulling his weight. So, um, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, you made a few points there I just want to touch on. So you're talking about last season was in the in the makings for couple last couple of seasons. I agree with you on that. And that actually ties into my next question I had for you, which was how do you think our recruitment has been over the last 12 to 24 months? 
on top of that, though, you mentioned about the lone players. So, Laxalt, Duffy, Kenny. I thought their first two or three games for the club, they were they were good. And then they just fell off a cliff real quickly. Yeah. So, that was a consistent thing with all the lone players. The same thing happened with Ayeti when we bought him. He was good at the, for his first four or five games, and then he just got no performance out of him off the back of that. Yeah. The one that I wanted to touch on that you also mentioned was Christy. Like, yeah. You kind of forget how well he did play early on in the season. I'm guilty of it. I I just thought he had a bad season. But yeah. you're right. He played well early on. And then I think it was once Forrest got hurt and he got moved out to the right. Yeah. That's when his performances just dropped big time. Yeah. Playing him out of position. So um one other thing you said last was about there's probably no games you can remember a good quality 90-minute performance. The only game I can think of would be our Europa League game against Lille. That's pretty much it. Yeah. Over there. That's the only 90-minute performance that I'm happy with for the whole season. Yeah. But yeah, there again, you know, to, to go two up and not and not get uh, not win, is that's poor form in, in Europe. You know, good teams, good, good teams don't do that very often. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you think our recruitment has been the last 12 to 18 months? For me, I think what you said earlier about it's been a couple of years in the making has been spot on because to we've known Scott Brown's legs were going, so we should have been getting him a, a replacement. Yeah. We had, we've got Sorrow in, great. But I actually thought Kelmack has been having to cover a lot of Bruni's work yeah. while he's doing his own, and that's why he's so burnt out at the moment. So when he looked a lot better once he had Sorrow alongside him. He didn't have to do as much running. But before that, we had Abui Kowasi. We bring him in for three and a half million pound and he did nothing. So that's yep. a major issue. We haven't brought in the like the left back situation. I like Greg Taylor, but he's no Kirantini. No. Nope. And that's nope. the issue a lot of people have with him. But pretty much no one is Kirantini. He's like a top three left back in the world, yeah, in yeah. my opinion. So it's a bit hard to judge him against Tierney. Ball and Golly and Taylor, if you put them together, that is Tierney. In what, in yeah. Spreading the two players, you had Ball and Golly as a, more of an attack-minded fullback and then you had Taylor as a defensive one. So we haven't fixed that left back position. Right back is an absolute dog's breakfast. It's We need someone there. We need a bunch of centre-backs, probably two or three. We need another defensive midfielder. I think we're good at attacking midfielder. We need a couple of wingers and we need strikers. So do you agree with my assessment of the squad or do you think that we need to... Um... Well, I, I think with with Ange coming in, then, you know, everyone will start hopefully, you know, with a clean sheet, a clean sheet. And uh, so... But yeah, the lone players. I mean, you're not going to tell me that John Joe Kenny is any better a player than Anthony Ralston on what I've seen. I mean, they're you know, I agree with you about you know Greg Taylor. He's he's a serviceable left back, you know, good left back. But you're not going to replace Kieran Tierney with with likes. Uh, the but yeah, I I would agree with, with that assessment. You know, the the players that we've recruited. I think, and again, I think Peter Lawl's fingerprints are, are all over this. We've we've gone around, you know, chasing, you know, the next uh, Wanyamas, Van Dykes, you know, bringing people in for, you know, not a lot of money and then selling them on to make a profit, you know. And, and while we've been hunting around Lithuania and outer Mongolia looking for the next world beater, you know, Rangers have snapped up that boy from Dundee, Glen Kamara, for 50 grand, you know, so you know we we could be looking a wee bit closer to home, you know, for for players. Uh, so again, I mean, I think you know Peter Lawl has to take a lot of responsibility for that, and also Nicky Hammond, you know, who's been the you know the, the head of recruitment, who's, who's now gone. Uh, I think you know he his tenure won't be remembered, you know, well. We have we haven't recruited well. And, you know, and I think it's just a matter of, you know, who's been in charge of the recruitment? You know, if, if your CEO, if, it, if it's correct, 
that he has taken advice from people and signing players without the authority of the manager. You know, example, Marion Schwed. Then that is a serious structural issue within any club. And so, yeah. yeah. Agree with you on that because that was the one I was going to bring up. Bayo and Schwed, those yeah. two, like they're the, they're the key, like I, exactly what you're talking about. They're players that we're trying to get on the cheap and flip for eight, ten million later on. But when you go back and look at it, we signed Armstrong yep. and Mackay Stevens and Chifty all from Dundee United. Yep. None of them were sexy signings at the time, let's yep. be honest. Yeah. But did one of them worked really well, which was Armstrong. He did great for us. We made seven million on him. So Celtic needs to have a good Scottish core. And that actually ties into what I wanted to ask you next, which was what you were talking about with Peter Law while getting involved in everything. So do you think Celtic needs a director of football? Yeah, well, I've I've thought long and hard about this one. And I must admit, I'm I'm not 100% sure how, how it would work, <laughs> you know, because... Your director of football, you think you think of someone like more senior, perhaps you know someone my age, you know, a, a very senior football figure, you know, like someone like a Rafa Benitez or or a Gordon Strachan or something like that. Uh, so that that's the kind of person that uh, you think about when you think about director of football. Now, does that person then appoint the coach? You know, because you know coaches when they come in. You know they, they you know they want to kind of feel loved. They want to know that you know everyone's got their back and uh, that you know they're going to be able to work with the director of football. So you know there, there's that side of things. And then if if the coach doesn't work out, then who goes? Does the coach go, or does the director of football go, or do they both go? And then you're you're back to square one. So I'm I'm not convinced about the director of football role. Uh, I think maybe you know. A lot of people don't like Gordon Strachan, you know, I do. Uh, but, you know, someone like Gordon Strachan, I think, to me, would be a, a good director of football. You know, if someone wanted a, a sounding board, someone with a background in the game, uh, then I think Gordon Strachan would be at the right age and probably the right mentality for that role. But do you think Ange Postacoglu needs a director of football at his age? And I, I don't. No, that's what I agree with you on there. Yeah. For me, it depends on the club structure. Like if we had have completed the 10, yeah. I always thought we'd get the 10, then would go the European model with a director of football and we put maybe John Kennedy in charge. People would be like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. We've won the 10. We're happy with that. Let's now build, bring through the younger kids and you get that director of football doing the holistic approach on the club. So they've got a list of 10 managers that they're keeping an eye on so that if – say it was Kennedy and he moved on, they've got a bunch of people they can call and say, hey, would you be interested? Come in and work under it. And, they, and the club keeps running so we don't have a Rogers leaving and taking everyone with him situation in the future. Yeah. yeah, You'd have a head of recruitment reporting into the director of football. We've got our Colts team coming in. They'd play a, certain, they'd play a similar way that's going to flow on into the seniors in the same way the youth would. So it would all make sense. Yeah. That's in an ideal world. Yeah. However, bringing Ange Postacoglu in, he has been working under a director of football in Japan. Yeah. But if you brought in someone like Gordon Strachan, I could see – I don't – Ange knows the way he wants to play. Yeah. So I don't think that would – the dynamic would be quite right, especially when Strachan's son is on the coaching staff at the moment until Ange gets in the door. Yeah. yeah. So with Ange coming in, I'm thinking we need 12 months, get him in, get the recruitment set up. And Ange will bring his staff in. We'll get the recruitment right, and off we go. And we're in that structure that we had when Rogers was there. Yeah, yeah. My, my, you mentioned Strachan as director of football. Someone I think, if we had a young manager like Kennedy, the guy yeah. I, I would have loved as a director of football. I actually wanted the head coach and director of football set up, and I wanted David Webb as director of football, and I wanted David Wagner to come in as manager. That's yeah. what I wanted before Ange was appointed. Ange is in, being from Melbourne, knowing what he can do, I'm happy with that appointment. So that's neither here nor there. But 
a guy I would have thought if John Kennedy was going in as head coach for a director of football, perfect guy in my opinion would have been Jackie McNamara. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know how his health is at the moment, mind you. And that's why uh, a director of football would be perfect for yeah, him because he had yeah. his stroke and everything. But he's coached, he's done recruitment, he knows the club, he knows the city, which covers keep will keep the Green Brigade and all them people happy. But it's also it wouldn't be as taxing on him and his health because of the stroke he had if he was a director of football. Yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, the John Kennedy thing, I mean, you know, obviously the, the club have been very loyal to John Kennedy. You know, some might say over loyal, but, you know, John Kennedy has been very, very loyal to the club. But really, if, if this guy wants to coach, get out and coach. You know, should he should That's have been, if, if he was serious about becoming a top-level coach, then... He should have been away doing his apprenticeship, you know, maybe spending some time in Spain or Germany or, you know, with the, the years he has ahead of him, you know, go out, learn learn your craft, you know, go and work with other people, you know, like Sean Maloney's done, you know, and and then take a team and see if you can coach, you know, but uh, I just don't know where his ambition is, you know, what, what he wants to do. I mean, he sh- if he's serious about being a coach, he surely is not one of you know, stay at Celtic as a, you know, two IC forever in a day. Yeah, he should have taken the Hibs job when it went. Yeah, to absolutely. Like, yeah, that would have been yeah. perfect for him. But if he wasn't going to take it, then because he didn't feel ready, fine. I can understand that because of the turmoil at the club and everything at the time. But for me, if you look at it now and go, he was in the chair at the end of the season. It didn't go as planned. We didn't get the ten. He should have come in and just been attacked. Okay, this is my chance to prove what I can do. This is the formation we're doing. I'm bringing the kids through. I'm going to be aggressive. But he just did more of the same. Yeah. Which just basically tarnished him. If he had have changed the lineup, put the young kids in, and you could go, okay, that's the John Kennedy team. We're playing attacking, aggressive, exciting football. I would have been on board with that. Yeah. For this season. Even yeah. if we had lost those games against Rangers, if the you could see pathway and it was looking like it was the right move i would have been like yeah cool let's go with it but because it was more of the same you're right he needs to move on and i think he needs to move on once Ange's in the door he needs to go get a gig perfect role for him i thought this season would have been dundee united yeah he needs to go on get a role like that spend a few years there build a program and show them what you can do outside of the glasgow bubble yeah yeah, for for sure, you know, and like you know, the, the, if he if he had made those changes and you know, backed himself, and you know, the, the fans will forgive you if they can see you're having a crack. But you know, what really jacks them off is when you're making you know the same mistakes week in week out. You know, you know, doing doing the same thing and hoping something different's going to happen. Exactly. And we we had a gutful of that this year. Yeah, the definition of insanity is doing the yeah. same thing over and over again, expecting yeah. something to change. Yeah. Uh, and that's pretty much what we had with him in that chair. Yeah. But anyway, you know, exciting times, you know, moving forward, you know, I think uh, Ange will be, you know, a breath of fresh air. I think, you know, you know, we've got some good players there. I mean, we haven't, I didn't mention David Turnbull, who I thought, you know, I mean, he's, he's a player for sure. I think there's a player in Mikey Johnston, you know, I think, uh, He's, he's a bit limited and, you know, he's been moved around from pillar to post. He's not a striker, but I think, you know, as a wide man, a wide man in a 4-3-3 or a 4-4-2, he's, he's a good player, you know. And, yeah, Mikey uh, needs to get you know, on the team. Can, can get the best out of him. He, yeah, he does, yeah. He needs to bulk up a little bit and, yeah, but he's he's certainly a player. You know, there's, there's, there's something there for sure. It's that balancing act for him though. Like if he... Because he's had health issues like injuries and stuff, you don't want him to put on too much bulk and bulk up and then lose his speed and explosiveness and everything he's got. But at the yeah. same time, maybe carrying an extra two, three, four kilos of muscle will help him ride some of the impacts he's been taking, yeah. especially in Scotland. So, yeah. and I guess you know one of the things you know with with Celtic, I mean, they must have a you know a decent sports science department because I mean I can remember when James Forrest came in the team and you know he had tighter hamstrings than Craig Beatty, I think, you know, and you thought, well, this guy's a player, but he's going to be out injured, you know, every second month. But, you know, you look at him and he's he's not an athlete, really, you know, 
but uh, they've managed them really well. And, and the same with Tommy Rogic. You know, I mean, Tommy Rogic isn't a, a natural athlete. He's had a lot of chronic injuries and, you know, he's, I mean, he's not a 90-minute player, you know, and I think, you know, Brendan Rodgers knew that. And, uh, you know, so he's had to be managed, you know, very carefully, you know, to get the best out of his career and to get longevity into his career. So, you know, hopefully whoever's been advising him and James Forrest can, you know, have the same impact with Mikey Johnston, you know, and get him in the team consistently. Yep. Agree with you on that. So yep. what current players at the club do you think will will more than likely be moving on in the next six months, 12 months? Well, with a new manager coming in, it's hard to say. When Chris Iyer has already come out and said he wants to go, uh, so, you know, he can't, he, he's been very frank, you know, he's played well for us, you know, during last season and he's come out and been honest and said, this is the time to go. And so it'll be up to him and Ange, you know, I don't think, you know, I think if I was Ange, I'd be saying to him, well, listen, son, if, if you want to go, the best way for you to go is to do your best for me and play out with your skin while you're here. And, you know, if the right offer comes up, then we'll accept it, you know? As long yep. as you're you're trying, I think the the lone players obviously Lashalt, Kenny, and uh, uh, Duffy obviously will, will go. Elian Elian I think he's a clever player. Uh, would I pay five million for him? I don't know if I would or not actually. No, I wouldn't. So, no, I, I don't think so. He's 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 a clever footballer, uh, but I think he's. You know, I'm I'm not sure what what his right position is. You know, he's not as good a number ten as David Turnbull. Uh, he's not he's not a wide player. You know, he's he's not he's not quick enough. You know, to take a man on and beat him like like Mikey Johnston or James Forrest can. Defensively, he's 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 not great. Uh, so I w- I wouldn't buy him for five million. I think his best position is playing off a off a target man as a striker. Yeah. So if you yeah. say that guy we're talking about. Before we recorded from Czech Republic as your big target man, yeah, that's right, up. yeah. And then you yeah. playing as the inside forward or a secondary striker off that, yeah, that would work. But yeah. then if you're going to play that, then that means you can't play Turnbull Rogic because you're not going to have a number ten in your lineup. So it kind of defeats the purpose. So that's yeah. why, I'm like, at five million for his transfer for Alan Uzi plus wages, yeah, and then the formation thing, I, I just yeah. don't see it being a good fit. Yeah. So who do I think will definitely... I think IR will go. Uh, he said he wants to go. I hope he doesn't. Uh, I think I think Eduard will, will go. Uh, and Christie's already kind of hinted that, that he wants to go. I, I think he might stay, you know. So, yeah, but, but that would be it. Barkas, is it going to make any difference, you know, that yeah, coming in with a Greek coach, is Anne's going to get something out of him that we, we haven't seen already, I don't know. I mean, he doesn't even look like a goalkeeper to me. I and mean, I'm sure he is. I mean, he's been a Greek international. I mean, there must be something there. But, uh, you know, he just doesn't have the, the presence or the command of his area that you expect he's for, got a goal, for a goalkeeper. He's got the look about him that if you walked into an accountancy firm and he was sitting yep. on the desk there, you'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. That's right. And to me, he looked like a wee boy for the under-16s that had just... Come in and, and and got a game, <laughs> got a game, you know. But there there must be something there. I mean, he must be a good goalkeeper. It's got to be. He's, he's, yeah. it's, it's Greek international. He's played in the Champions League. Yeah. Apparently, he's more a sweeper keeper, so a guy who's good with the ball at his feet. Yeah. Which would suit the way Ange's teams play. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm yet to see him make a game game changing stop. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. that's where my doubt is. And if we're being linked with a three to five million pound deal for Matt Ryan. Yeah. Who and just managed before, gave him his international debut, and he's good with the ball at his feet and he's a good shot stopper. Yeah. Then sorry, Barkus. See you later. No, definitely. If we got if we were to get Ryan, uh, Matt Ryan for that kind of money, that would be phenomenal business. You know, he's he's a good age, you know, he's got many, many years ahead of him. So let's keep our fingers crossed for that one. But you know, but like I say, you asked me who I think will move on. I think Barkas, Ayar, Eduard, and you know maybe Christie, yeah. and all the all the lone players can uh, 
you know, can go. Yeah. Yep, I have to agree with you on that. I think Christie will be sold because he's only got six months left on his deal. So yeah. there's no point really keeping him if he signs yeah. a free contract in the next month or two to go somewhere off the back of the Euros and we'll just yeah. cash in and take a nominal fee and yeah. say, see you later, all the best. Yeah, and at left back, and I, I mean, I often you know, <laughs> send letters into Celtic Park if I see players that I think are good, but there was a young lad called Liberatore Caceri who played for Wellington Phoenix, left back. And uh, he hit their team at a pretty young age, and Kevin Musket actually took him to him to St. Trude and in Belgium. Yeah, and and I thought he was a fantastic young player, very you know physically very mature for his age, you know a real kind of you know he wasn't Kieran Tierney, but that kind of mode of player, you know, always looking to get forward and you know crash into the box, uh, and uh, the last I heard, apparently Juve were were looking at him. So, you know, I'd, I did send something into Celtic and they said they would pass it on to someone, but uh, I'd like to have, have another look at him. I've got a funny one for you because about about him, where I sit, because I'm a Melbourne Victory season ticket holder, where we yeah. sit with the opposition benches in front of us and they warm up just around the corner. Yeah. And I thought watching him on TV that he was a lot smaller than he is. Yeah. Like I actually thought he's maybe like five six, five six, five. Yeah, that's what I would have thought. Yeah, I thought he was small. Yeah. And then one day I'm sitting there, and you got Gary Hooper, and we all know the size of Hooper. He's actually yeah. bigger than he looks. Like he's like almost six foot. Yeah. Decent height and build about him, and I'm watching Hooper warm up, and there's Cassais warming up right next to him, and I'm like four or five meters away from the two of them, and I'm like, dude, he's massive. Yeah. He's got that. Um, it's going to sound weird. He's got that lustig build about him where he's a lot taller and bigger and, you know, stronger yeah, yeah. in person than he actually looks on the TV. Yeah. And he's, like, solid, you know, around the around the hips and the thighs, you know. He's, he's getting and a, ball. Yeah, and he's a good, you know, a good age. So I, I don't know what he's doing at the moment. But, uh, you know, I hope, well, I'm sure Ange, I won't have to tell Ange Postacoglu who's out there that he can look at. He'll know that far better than me. But uh, and also that I haven't seen linked yet, but let's see who listens to this and which of those clickbait websites yeah. decide to uh, try and write this up. But yeah, and and the other young lad at Adelaide, who the sixteen-year-old boy who came in and scored that goal in his debut, where he oh, kind of yeah. No, no, it wasn't Traore. It was Ma- Ma- Mohammed, someone or other. And he was oh, he was yeah. sixteen, and he got in, and he the centre back he was playing against. I can't remember who it was, but he was an experienced player, and he just kind of muscled him out of the way and lined up his shot and tucked it in the corner and I thought, geez, for 16 years old, you know, that is phenomenal. You know, I don't know what's happened to him. So, but like I say, I'm not one who might tell Ange Postacoglu who to look for for players of every confidence in him. Yeah, I know the ones you're talking about, there's those two brothers at Adelaide, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Actually quickly going on their website now to have a look. Yeah, there's, there was one called, I think it was Mohammed something his name was. I think it was a Sudanese boy. Yeah, I know the ones you're talking about. Yeah. Uh, you got Mohammed Toure and Al Hassan Toure. Well, maybe it was Mohammed Toure. That, that was yeah. him. Yeah, yeah. Get the, get the two brothers. Sign yeah. Them up. yeah. But we're talking about needing wingers as well, and not only are those guys, but, geez, Mohammed was born in 2004. Like, dude, yeah. he's young as. 17, so, yeah, yeah. But the thing for me as well is one that I wouldn't be surprised to see would be Ange, because he rates him highly from back in the day, would be Chris Economides from Perth. Yep. Uh-huh. Because we need a winger, so that one yep. could be linked with. Yeah. Another one I'd love to see Riley McGree. Yes. Uh-huh. Right? Yep. If we can get him out of his deal in America. Uh-huh. And, yeah, there's one other. Um, Tilio from Melbourne City. Yeah, I, I, I don't think I've seen him. He's a young winger. Yeah. He reminds me of Arzani, but a bit more built. Yeah. Yeah. And, of course, we've got Aaron Moy, apparently, is in the, in the frame as well. You know, good. Oh, you know, interesting if that happens. Yeah. Yeah, we could have had him when he was at St. Mim. I heckled the living, living hell out of him in a FFA Cup game. I was really? Thinking, he was taking corners. And he'd just come back from um, – he'd just come back from St. Mirren. And he was just came over and uh, my brother who was there said something to him because, oh, 
Moi, blah, blah, blah. I said something. He just looked at me, brother, and just told him to F off. <laughs> and I just, then I started ripping him the rest of the game. You couldn't even hack it at St. Mirren. What are you? And then look at the development he's had ever since. Yeah, I know. Yeah, he's a quality oh, player now. I'm like, yeah. Imagine if he comes to Celtic now. And my missus can't stand him because of that either. <laughs> so that would be an interesting one. Yeah. If anyone ever wanted to stitch me up if he was signed, send me a Celtic shirt with Moy on the back. And <laughs> it would be the most awkward moment. Yeah, you can wear it with pride. <laughs> yeah. All right. So what we'll do, switching gears a little bit. Now we'll just go through the last three or four things we'll go through, which I always like to end these podcasts on. So who would be your all-time favourite Celtic player and why? Well, well, you probably guessed this. For someone of my generation, you know, it would have to be Jimmy Johnston. You know, I kind of grew up with him. Actually, the 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 first it wasn't, my, it wasn't my first Celtic game, but the first time I ever saw Celtic, I'd, I lived in Dumfries, and there's a large psychiatric hospital near where, where I lived, uh, and it had all these like rolling grounds, and Celtic came down once, and it must have been the very, very early 60s to play a, a match against a Dumfries select team. And uh, so they, they sent the team down just to raise money for the hospital. And they played in, in this build. There's a stadium there that normally is a cricket pitch, but they put the goalposts up for the visit of Celtic. And it's a kind of natural amphitheatre with these grass embankments all around it. And I remember going there and uh, Jimmy Johnston was there. And he, I mean, I was a wee boy myself, you know, and Jimmy Johnston just looked like a wee boy too. But... You know that scene in Schindler's List where it's all like black and white and then you see the wee girl with the red dress? Yep. Well, it was like this because everything was green. You know, the grass was green, the sides were green. And I just remember this mop of red hair, you know, from, from this wee guy. And he was on the bench, actually. He's, uh, and uh, thinking, oh, that's Jimmy Johnson. You know, I've heard about him. But then, you know, I'd, I grew up, you know, watching him play. You know, I saw him live, you know, so many, many times and just a wonderful player, phenomenal athlete, you know, very, very brave and good header of the ball, you know. And I, I remember, you know, one night going up to a game and it was, I remember it was between Christmas and New Year and we went up and Celtic played Dundee United and uh, there wasn't much of a crowd there Uh and it was freezing cold. The pitch must have been rock solid, but Jimmy Johnston that night, Celtic won seven two, and honestly, at the end of the game, when you left, you would have thought Jimmy Johnson was the only person that played. He just had the ball the whole night, and he was playing against a guy called Frank Coppel, who was Dundee United left back, who had some time at Man United, played for Scotland. You know, a very good player, and I'll tell you what, Frank Coppel must have been glad to hear that final whistle because Jimmy Johnson absolutely murdered him, and it was phenomenal performance, you know, and. The game, the, I mean, he was always good against Rangers, you know, always good against Rangers. And, uh, yeah, so he is my all-time favourite. Do you ever watch any of the, the, the film of him playing in Alfredo Di Stefano's testimonial match? No, I haven't seen that. I've just got uh, that. You should, so after Celtic won the European Cup in 67, their next game, they were asked to take part in Alfredo Di Stefano's testimonial. You know who you've heard of Alfredo Di Stefano, yeah? Yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> so uh, Celtic played and Jock Steen changed the team. He played John Fallon in goals because he he didn't want like he said he didn't want that European Cup winning team ever to lose again. But anyway, so he changed the team. John Fallon played and uh, Jimmy Johnston that night, you know, he put on an absolute clinic and you should you should YouTube it because it's just absolutely phenomenal. The, the stuff he was doing. The, the, the Real Madrid players were frightened to go near him because he was just, you know, absolutely fantastic. Brings a tear to my eye just talking about him, actually. Who would be your top five players that you've seen play for Celtic in your lifetime, Jim? Oh, well, obviously, Jimmy Johnston. Uh, I saw Kenny Dalglish make his debut for, for Celtic. Uh, I remember... Uh, his first competitive game, I think, was against Wraith Rovers, and he, he came in for Bobby Murdoch, I think, who was away at one of his rehab clinics at that time because he always had a tr- trouble with his weight, and Jockstein used to send him away to a health farm from time to time to get him right. But uh, Douglas came in and played that day, and then the next 
pre-season, he started to play regularly. And I remember being at a, a game at Kilmarnock, a pre-season friendly, and it was uh, it was actually a player called Frank Beatty's testimonial. Uh, Bertie Ald actually was involved in a, a challenge that broke Frank Beatty's leg at Celtic Park, and I think that really ended Frank Beatty's career at Kilmarnock and Celtic arranged a testimonial, and Kenny Dalglish scored six goals that day in the <laughs> testimonial match. Uh, so yeah, Dalglish would be right up there. Uh, Paul McStay obviously was you know a big favourite. Although I came here in '89, you know, so I, I missed uh, a lot of you know his career in live action. But uh, wonderful player. Uh, I love Luba Maracic. You know, it's, he was, you know, he was just, uh, you know, what, what, I've got a T-shirt with his name in it and it says a gift from God and he sure was, you know, he was, you know, if he was as good a player as there was in Europe, you know, and at that time, you know, and the fact that he, he played with some unfashionable clubs, you know, and I mean, I think Zinedine Zidane had said once, you know, like if he had, if he had gone to UV or AC Milan, you know, he would have been a, a household name. You know, we were lucky to have him for the for the few years that that we did. And uh, obviously, Hen- Henry Larson, you know, just you know, again, you know, how lucky were we to to get him, and you know, to have him for as, as long as we did. You know, it it says a lot about him. You know, as a player, you know that. He he got a break, you know, when he came to Celtic and he fell in love with the club and the club loved him. And, you know, he, he rewarded the club, you know, by staying with him, you know, for seven years. You know, there's a lot of people who are here getting described in the paper as, you know, Celtic legends. Charlie Nicholas would be one, you know, who couldn't get away quick enough, you know. But, you know, Henry Larson, you know, obviously he turned down offers to go to bigger clubs and stayed at Celtic. So... That would be my five, Johnson, Douglas, McStay, Maravchuk and Larson. But when you think back, you know, the just the captains of the club that we've had from, you know, when you when you roll through the names, you know, McNeil, Douglas, McGrain, Aitken, McStay, Lennon, Brown, you know, it's phenomenal servants we've had for our club. Yeah, we've been very lucky. Yeah. Very lucky support to have that quality of player. Yeah, with us for the all the years, so um, yeah, unbelievable. Yeah, those players you rattled off there, no disputing any of them. Yeah, unbelievable yeah. players. It's tough to even do a top five. You can oh, go with absolutely, top yeah, quite comfortably. Yep, yep, definitely. All right, Jim. What would be some of the most memorable games that you've seen Celtic play in your lifetime, and what would be so memorable to you about those games? Yeah, uh, well, the the first one. The first Celtic game I ever went to was in October 1967. My my dad took me up to the League Cup final. We played Dundee in the October, and it was uh, it was a Saturday. And I think Celtic were flying out to Buenos Aires after that game to play the second game against a racing club in that you know notorious uh, World Club Championship. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Uh, big jock rested Jimmy Johnson for the, for that game. I was so looking forward to seeing him, uh, and played John Hughes instead. But uh, yeah, the one five three, my first game, you know, really really memorable as an event. Stood up in the you know the old North Stand there at uh, at Hamden to see that. Other memorable games, uh, the the Celtic Rangers Cup final in '69 at Hamden. I was lucky enough. I was at the the Celtic end and. When we scored those three goals in the first half, you know, I was right behind the goals when, when uh, McNeil and uh, George Connolly uh, scored those goals to, you know, put us three nothing up at half time. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal game. Uh, the two games against Leeds United in the European Cup, uh, I was lucky enough to be at, at those. The the second game, the one at Hamden, you know, just for the size of the crowd, you know, obviously. They, they always said, you know, Hamden held 134,000. I mean, it didn't hold them. It got them in. Uh, you know, I had many, many frightening experiences coming out of grounds, you know, at, at, during, you know, that time. Uh, you know, so it was, you know, the Ibrox disaster, you know. There was many times when coming out of grounds, when you would, 
felt like something like that was was going to happen. And I got a real fright once at Celtic Park. And from then on, I always waited a wee while after the the game ended for the crowd to to thin out before I left. Uh, but that night, I mean, a lot of people get in for nothing that night. There must have been about 150-odd thousand there. But just like a phenomenal game, you know, the quality of the football, the, you know, the intensity of the competition. You know, when you think, uh, well, you know who we had in our team, but, you know, Leeds United with, you know, Brenner and Johnny Giles and people like that, you know, they were, there were no shrinking violets. And that was... A contest in, you know, in every sense of the world, in word, you know, physical and and skill. And uh I you know great game and to get to the final and then and then lose, you know, I, I went to that final in Milan. Uh we, we actually went on a bus from Dumfries to Milan, there and back. Uh I was almost delirious with lack of sleep by the time that we got we got back. And but you know I, I was too young to go to Lisbon, you know, and you you have all those memories about Lisbon, and you know the the sunshine and you know the the open air stadium and obviously the, the result. But you know Milan, nothing could have been more different. You know it was it was at night the game, it was cold, it was wet. The, the San Siro at that time was a like a concrete jungle, you know. And, you know, just the noise of the, the Feyenoord fans, I think every one of them had one of those boo-boo before they were actually called that. And, you know, it was just, it was just such a disappointment, you know, to, to lose in the circumstances that we did. I mean, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, Feyenoord were an outstanding side, but, you know, Celtic at their best were better. And whatever happened, you know, behind the scenes that night, then we we went at our best that night for sure, and you know so that we should have had a second European Cup to our name, and that's you know always a d- disappointment. Yeah, so yeah, so that was probably you know a memorable game for the wrong reasons. Uh, clinching the you know the 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 cups in our centenary year, you know that that was fantastic. Just before I came to Australia, and just you know a, a story about that when. Celtic won the league that day at Celtic Park, you know, uh, they beat Dundee 2-0. And in Dumfries that Saturday had been earmarked for our supporters club dance, uh, which we had every year. And there was always like a a guest would come down from the club, you know, in the, in the days when, you know, players and club staff used to do that kind of thing. And Billy McNeil, who was the coach then, and Tommy Craig, his assistant, were, were earmarked to come down that night to... Uh, to join us for the celebration because you know, Celtic won the league that day and we thought, well, I can't see Billy McNeil. He's not going to come down now, you know. He'll have other things to do. But he did. Him and Tommy Craig left whatever celebrations was going on up in Glasgow and came down and, and joined us for that celebration. And I remember he, both he and Tommy Craig, they had on Celtic socks under their suits because they'd ended up in the bath after uh, the after the game. And uh, they had to their their jocks and socks were soaking, and they, they had to wear football shorts and football socks <laughs> under the suits. But but they drove down and spent the night of it with us, and it was you know fantastic. And it it tells you a wee bit about Billy McNeil and the kind of man he was. You know, if, if he had if he had rang up and said, "Listen, in the circumstances, I can't join you," everyone would have understood. But he drove all the way down the road and joined us that night. Yeah, so. Yeah, very special. What a man. That's yeah. what I'd say. What a man. All right. So yeah. last question for you. Who would be the one player that has never that didn't play for Celtic? I would say other than Messi and Ronaldo. Yeah. That you have seen play and wished that they would have signed for Celtic and pulled the hoops on him. Well, you know, I, I, when I saw that question, I thought about that. And obviously you think about people like, you know, some of the great players that, you know, I've thought, oh, my God, you know, like Pele or Marco Van Basten and, you know, players like that. Juan Roman Raquelme was always a big favourite of mine. But I'm, I'm not going to go for, for one of those world superstars, you know. I would love to have seen Tim Cahill play for Celtic. If you know, just uh, having seen you know Cahill's career and and the player that he was, 
if if we had got Tim Cahill from Millwall from Millwall, if he'd come to us instead of uh, Everton, you know, I th- I think I think he would have loved Celtic the way he loved Everton, maybe even more. And I think the Celtic fans would have loved Tim Cahill. You know, just his his commitment. You know, his bravery. You know, and you know, just gave you everything he had. You know, every minute of every game. You know, he was very very brave player. And you know, I think if Tim Cahill in the soup in the hoops would have been a revelation, and I think he would have loved it. So you know, that would he'd be my pick. So there's just one probably out of left left field. And he, is, and, he, and he is a Tim. He is a Tim, of course. So uh, I haven't haven't heard that one before, but I'd I'd be I'd be all over that one too. Yeah, it would have been a great signing. It would have been, yeah, for sure. Yep. All right. So what we'll do is we'll leave it there, Jim. Thanks heaps for your time and having a chat to us about Celtic and your time supporting them and your love of the club. Really appreciate that. Thanks. Thank you, Jared. It's It's been a pleasure. Like I say, it's, uh, I wish I had a dollar for every hour I've spent, you know, talking about Celtic and uh, you, you kind of, you know, apart from your, your family, you know, your, the club's probably the most important thing in in your life. And I mean, it, it does become part of your family, you know, and if, if I'm out and about Melbourne and I see someone with a Celtic shirt on, I always stop and talk to them, you know, and you, and you immediately strike up a, you know, a, a bond, you know, and uh, yeah, it's very lucky that, uh, you know, to Celtic have given me, you know, so much pleasure over the year and be a bit of pain as well. But, you know, that's all part of the journey, isn't it? But I'm, I'm excited about, you know, what we've got ahead of us and, uh, you know, I hope the fans are, are patient and, Give Ange, you know, the time that he that he will need to get the house in order. But you know, I'm really, really confident that he will. Hundred percent agree with that and echo those things. He'll um. Yep, we're in for we're in for a very special time coming up if Ange does what he normally yeah, does. Yeah, well, I think I mean usually, yeah, usually Ange's uh, first few. Matches at well more than the first few first number of weeks at a club are a bit rocky as the club get to to uh, you know get used to his style of play. I think you know if, if he qualifies for the Champions League, I think it will be a miracle. You know, I think it's maybe a stretch to think that that will will happen. I mean, I pray that it does, but you know, I'll be a bit forgiving if if it doesn't. But uh, you know, things can turn around quickly. I mean, we can win the league this year. I mean, if you look where we were. You know, when Martin Martin O'Neill come in, I always remember I was in Dumfries the the year uh, the year before Martin O'Neill started, and my brother-in-law, uh, my wife's sister, married into a family of Rangers supporters. But my brother-in-law at that time, Rangers had won the league, and uh, I think Celtic were playing Motherwell that day or something. And my my niece came out and ran and said, "Oh, Uncle Jimmy," she says. Uh, Celtic beat Motherwell 2-1 or something. And my brother-in-law, Andy, says, oh, don't tell me we've only won the league by 21 points. And, of course, I was choking on my barbecue and say, oh, your time will come. Well, at 21 points, we turned that around the next season and, and won the league. So things can change quickly. Well, it's happened in the last couple of seasons. We we smacked them by 20-something and they did us by 20-something this year. It's Absolutely, cool. yeah. And... As we mentioned earlier, if you bring in a goalkeeper of Matt Ryan's ilk, for instance, he'll win you 15 points a season in the same way McGregor's done that for Rangers this season, just gone. So yep. that'll fix it up. And then also if you take out the – if the derby results flip and we win three and they win one, there's an 18-point swing, so it's a lot closer than you think. So yep. the key yep. thing is – and just going to need to get these guys fit to play his style of football, considering the way they played last year. We were just too unfit. We'd run out of legs after 60 minutes. So that's oh, going to be yeah, his yeah. biggest issue from day one. He's getting the yeah. levels up and then go from there. But I've got faith. I know I've seen him do the job before at club level here numerous times. I've seen him do the job at national team level. He did it in Japan. Now it's yeah. time for it to happen in Glasgow. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you, Jared. He's got he's got the runs on the board. I think he's, I think he's a, I think he's a superior appointment to Eddie Howe. You know, I know a lot of people were disappointed when that didn't happen, but uh, I think we've got ourselves a, a proven coach and a proven winner. 
agree with you there. So we'll just yep. leave it with that sound grab. Yep. Okay. Right. Thanks a lot, Jared. It's no been worries. a pleasure.